bring the word of the Lord to us this morning. Thank you, uh, Pastor uh, Mark. Uh, and yes, it's a joy for me to be here, and I, I feel like being here with my family. Um, the first time we came, we were like, oh. But now we feel more like um, you being our family, and uh, it's a joy for us to uh, be able to be, to be part um, of you as body and be your heart, your hands going to Colombia and ministering to uh, people who need you. So uh, while you open your Bibles in Mark, Matthew, Mark, the New Testament, the second gospel, Mark chapter 4, while you open and, uh, the Bibles there, I want, I want to share with you the reason why I met Pastor Mark. I want to tell you why I'm standing here before all, before all of you. I want to tell you the reason why I'm able to speak, to share my heart today. That is the reason, the same reason why I'm even going to Colombia. You know why I'm here? Why I met Pastor Mark? Because of a a storm. Because of a storm, I'm here. When in 1985, as I was finishing high school, I only wanted to do one thing in my life. That was to serve the Lord and be a missionary. And my heart, by God's grace, and my heart's desire, by God's grace, was so strong that by in 1986, as soon as I graduated from high school, I joined a missionary ship that goes from country to country sharing the gospel. And after uh, about two years being on, on that ship sharing the gospel to many nations, the Lord gave me the, the privilege of going and sharing the gospel um, I had decided, and the leadership of that organization had decided, and, and we agreed on me, on me becoming a long-term missionary with that organization. So I was already planning with them to be with that organization for 5, 10, 15 years. And I was already getting tickets Literally, the, the leadership of the ship were already talking about buying the tickets for me to go to Rio de Janeiro. And I had a specific plans of ministry, training. And um, even there was a person there, a girl, with whom I was beginning to develop a relationship so that, uh, encouraged by the leadership, so that I could establish my family as a missionary with that organization. But just a few weeks, a couple of months after all these plans were laid down in, Janu in January 4th, 1988, as we were sailing from Ushuaia, Argentina, Tierra del Fuego, the very bottom of, of South America, and we were going to Mar del Plata, Argentina, the ship sank. 
there was a big, huge storm. And that storm took the ship. And we went aground. And we all had to abandon the ship. It was a very tough um, day for all of us. It was dark, cold, rainy. And we all had to abandon the ships. The ship. So in just a few hours, all my plans to be a missionary, to serve the Lord, were shattered, were closed, were gone. We all, all those who were on board the ship, about 140 people, we all lost our material possessions. We all lost the direction in our lives. We all couldn't understand how God could allow a storm to sink that ship. It was a huge ship. And yet that storm was more powerful and overcame the ship. But you know, that storm allowed me and changed the direction in my life to such a way that I was able to go to the master's university. And the fact that I went to the master's university allowed me years later to go to the master's seminary. And going to the master's seminary allowed me to meet Pastor Mark. And during that time, I was able to help in a church in Santa Clarita. And then the fact also that I went to the master's seminary allowed me to be involved with or, or know about the ministry of the Master's Academy International and know about the need that is in Colombia. And now, 32 years after, not only that storm, but many, many other storms in my life, I can be here being able to speak to you what is in my heart, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. I have had many other storms in my life, financial, emotional, ministerial uh, difficulties related to my family, related to my health. And those have been storms even more difficult than the storm I went when the ship sank and changed the direction of my life. And those storms in my life have changed my heart, my perspective in life. And I want you right now for a second to think what storms you have had in your life. Maybe you have had emotional storms, financial storms, professional storms in your career, difficulties in your own life, your health. Even last year was a big storm for all of us. And today, from Mark 4, please go there with me, 33 to 41, we are going to learn about another storm. Another storm in which Jesus led his disciples. And we are going to learn how Jesus led them to this storm and how these men responded to it. So Mark chapter 4, verses 33 to 41. It says like this. With many, with, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, 
Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with the they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and wa- and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Cushion, and they woke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for your word. How privileged we are to be here this morning, all of us, learning from this Jesus, from this Lord, from this Savior, from this God. Heavenly Father, we all have gone through storms in our lives, difficult times, Lord. And Father, I pray that you may speak to us today, that you may encourage this church, that you may encourage each person to to grow in your knowledge, to grow in a personal relationship with you that may allow us to be strong, to gain strength from you, to face the difficulties of this life. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I have uh, titled this message, Who then is this Jesus? From the last verse, we read, Who then is this Jesus? And as we consider this text, I want us to gain, to understand three insights about who this Jesus is and a response, the response that we all as believers should have in light of who this Jesus is. And my outline is basically three points. The first one, this Jesus is the God who reveals the Father to you. This Jesus is the God who reveals the Father to you. Verses 33 and 36. This Jesus is God made flesh who identifies with you. He is the God made flesh who identifies himself with you. Verses 37 and 38. And this Jesus is the sovereign God over all storms in your life. Verses 39 and 40, and the, and the response we should have is in verse 41. He deserves all your love, all your trust, and all the confidence that he will walk you through all the storms in your life. So let's start with the first point. Jesus is the God who reveals the fire to you. And uh, that is, as I said, in verse 33, 35. Let's read it again. It says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. In the context that we are reading, we see that Christ had chosen in his sovereign grace, in his sovereign love, in his sovereign wisdom, 
to allow some people to understand the mystery of his kingdom. And to some others, he didn't choose to allow them to understand. And today, we are very, very privileged to be here and be able to understand what the word teaches us, what the Lord wants us to do. If we read um, verses 10 to 12, just in the context, he says, um, verses 10 to 12 right there, he says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, that is Jesus, when he was alone. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. How privileged we are to be here today. To understand that our eyes have been opened to see the light of Christ. And the only reason why today you can have an eternal hope is because of Jesus Christ. Because he chose to reveal the Father to you. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says, long, I will read it for you, Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, son whom he appointed, appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. God sent, the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to what? To speak to us. John 1.14 says that Jesus was the incarnate God. And he dwelt among us and we saw his glory. We live in a very, very privileged era. Where we know the testimony of Jesus Christ. The creator. He is no less than the creator of earth and heaven. And he has spoken to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 and 14, talking about God's redemptive plan and, and the cross and his glory and the things prepared for all those who love him. The scripture says, these things God revealed to us through whom? Through the Spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritual discerned. Just think of the grace of Christ, the love of the Father, the action, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that has allowed you to understand things that the world doesn't understand. There are many people that might be smarter than you. Yes, they might be smarter than any one of us. They might have more power than us, more resources. But they don't have the privilege. They haven't experienced Christ in their lives so that they can understand and see what his will for us, his eternal redemptive plan for us. In this context of 1 Corinthians 
Paul is speaking to the foolishness of the world. That though they pretend to be wise, they are fool because they don't understand the cross. And we have understood it only because of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ is the one who wants to reveal the fire to you. And, and the whole notion of God speaking to us and the Holy Spirit, for me, takes an incredible magnitude. When I read um, Deuteronomy 4, and you don't have to go there, I will read it for you, where um, Moses is talking about the preeminent place of Scripture and the obedience that the people of God had to give to this word. And how they should keep God's word in their hearts. And how the word of God was literally, literally death and life. And he says, Moses in, in Deuteronomy 4, uh, obviously God is speaking. He says, for ask, this is the Lord speaking. Ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to another, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? The voice of God speaking to the people was so powerful, so holy, that according to God's understanding, they should have died. And yet they didn't die because of God's love for them, allowing them to hear his word. Verse 34 says, Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trust, by signs, by wonders, and by word, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, of all which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you, to you, to you, what a privilege. It was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven, he let, he let you, you hear his voice. That he might discipline you. That is that he may instruct you. That he might, yes, might he discipline me, teach you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you hear his, his words out of the midst of fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. The God who speaks his word, the God who created the world that God, by the power of his word, is the God that speaks to us today. Do we even understand the depth of that wisdom, of that insight? Jesus is the God who speaks, who reveals the Father to us. How privileged we are to be able to know a God who speaks, who promises, who saves. And, 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 and in, that, in that wisdom, in that choosing, 
He has allowed us to hear his voice. And not just have him as a, as a, as a concept out there. Our God is not just a concept. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a notion. He is a personal God who has spoken to us. And in the text we are studying, he has chosen us. And he has taken us to, to an even further privilege. Not just to hear his word, because many have heard his word. But to be able to understand it. And even as we are going to see in this case, with the disciples, that they were taken into a field trip. So that their knowledge wasn't just theory, was experimental. Here there are a few medical doctors I know. And none of, none of, none of them would call themselves doctors if they wouldn't have had at least a patient. A surgeon... A medical surgeon, a doctor, couldn't be a surgeon unless he had done an operation. A soccer player couldn't say that he's a soccer player if he hasn't been in a match. A software designer couldn't say that he's a, an engineer or a software designer he has, if he hasn't ever designed a software. And sometimes, or if not all the time, we should go through that experience to know how it is like. To apply the knowledge we have. That, the, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the kingdom. That he is the king. That he has the power. So in verse 30, 35 and 36. We see how the Lord is taking these disciples into a field trip. And telling them, listen. I am the Lord. Verse 35 and 30, verses 35 and 36 of chapter 4, the text we are studying, says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Jesus didn't choose to sail the following day. He could have said, Why don't we leave tomorrow at 7 a.m.? That's what I did when I came to San Jose. I could have left late on Thursday. But I said, you know what? Let's not leave late. Let's leave early in the morning. Because that's what makes sense. And Jesus doesn't wait until the next day. He does it when? Late in the evening. After they are tired. After they are exhausted. When it's dark. And Jesus purposefully instructed commanded and guided the disciples and told them, go and get the boat. There was a number of boats, it says. But he chose one and he chose the crew. And today he has chosen you to hear his word, to follow his instructions, to be guided to what he has prepared for you in your life. And he didn't choose them for a fun ride to enjoy, to, for a nice philosophy talk that, where Jesus said, look, you see, I'm the Lord, I'm God. No. He chose them through 
go to go through a, an experience that would literally change their lives. And you know, that is the call we all as Christians have been called. We have been called to experience Christ, to experience our salvation. First Peter, one of the those verses that I know, I'm, I believe many of us love here. First Peter 1, 6 to 9 says, In this you rejoice, that is, in your salvation. Though, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. What a privilege. What an, what an overwhelming thought. To be able to, we, we love Christ. When? Through the difficulties. Not in the day of multiplication, but in the day of trials. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is, in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. On obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Trials, storms, difficulties. Are the way by which we can understand, appreciate, value. That this world is powerful. That this world has an effect in our lives. That this world can be personal. And I will say this again. That this world is not just a notion. It's not just a concept. The God who created the whole world. He is a personal God through the person of Jesus Christ. Acts 14.22 says. And, and actually this is in the context of, of uh, Paul healing a crippled man. Who had never walked. And, and Paul being stoned after Paul had been stoned almost to the point of death. They, they thought he was dead. He goes, and he goes back to Lystra and he tells these people, all the, the disciples there and the believers, the ones that were, he was discipling. And he says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and say that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This is contra contrary to the modern teaching. <laughs> through many blessings, we have to enter the, we will enter the kingdom of God. No, through many sufferings, the man who had been in the third heaven, who had seen the glory of Christ, he's acknowledging that yes, God uses storms, tribulations, trials, difficulties in our lives. So that we may know that this Jesus, that this God wants to speak to us, wants to instruct us, instruct us, instruct us wants us to grow in faith, in trust, in understanding of who he is. Difficulties in life provide us insurance, confidence, assurance. That he is real, that he's personal, that he's there. And I want to ask you this morning do you seek to hear 
the voice of this Jesus? Do you yearn as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul seeks Christ, needs you? That should be our daily words. Lord, I want to be thirsty. I want to be needy. I want to have you. I want you to speak. Would you take me in your boat? Could I be part of your crew? I want my life to take the direction that you want to take. Do you have a personal relationship with him so that he may speak to you? Do you love him? Do you desire him? Remember, I'm not talking about the philosophical God, the cosmological God. I'm talking about the personal Jesus Christ who came, made himself flesh, humbled himself so that he could be in the boat with you. But you know, that Jesus has so much love for you and me that doesn't only seek to speak to you, but also he is the God made flesh so that he can identify himself with you. And that is my second point of the outline. And, and it's in verses 37 and 38 where it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, that is the back part of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What a privilege for you to know a God that not only wants to speak to you and has allowed you to live, to understand, to gain that wisdom that the world doesn't have. But also, he came here to earth to identify himself with you. Not only to teach you just by parables that you may not understand, not to give you just a bunch of theology that you may not understand. But he became a man to identify yourself, himself with you, so that you can have someone that relates to you, that loves you, and cares for you. And, and the author of Hebrews, speaking about this great privilege we have, we shall gain, as we read in Hebrews 1, not even the Old Testament uh, uh, leaders, uh, fathers, the people of Israel had. We have it. We have Jesus Christ. He has spoken, God has spoken to us through him. And this same author in Hebrews 2, 10 to 18 says, for, he, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing, song, in, in bringing many songs to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? Through suffering. God, in his infinite wisdom and love, in his redemptive plan, 
chose to send his son to establish our, our salvation upon a man who would go through suffering, Jesus Christ. For he who, sancti who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is he who is not ashamed to call him, to call them brothers. What a privilege. Sometimes I have asked Mark and I've said, hey brother, can you help me? Sometimes he has called me and said, hey brother, I've been praying for you. Brother, I'm concerned about who you are doing, how you are doing. Brother, how can we help you? Why? Because he's my brother. He doesn't go around in the streets asking people, uh, offering his help. And so is Jesus. Can you imagine? He's our brother. What a privilege we have. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Those even in San Jose. Lighthouse Church. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put... My trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Little brothers. Since therefore the children share in, the flesh, in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely... Is not to angels, is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Us that have become his children. He helps us. Therefore, this is what I actually wanted to read. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, I will say this again and again. God is not just a concept. He's just not a notion. He's just not a theology. He's a person that came and suffered and died for you on the cross. And in love and grace, I ask you, do we even understand that? Christ suffered for you. He made, he made himself a weak, a vulnerable, vulnerable man. The second person of the Trinity. Just like you and me. He, 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 he can be, he can understand your day to day because he was a man. He knows your storms. He has been through storms. He knows or he knew what it was like to be thirsty, to be hungry, to feel sad, to be emotional and cry for the loss of his beloved friend. He knew what was scarcity according to Luke 9.58. He, he didn't have a place where he could lay his head. And sometimes, oh, I don't have a job. Oh, no one likes me. No one, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. Poor for Jesus, that he had to come and be a man. But you know what? He knew that he wasn't being poor. He was honoring, exalting his father and saving you through his suffering. 
even suffering to a death on the cross. And also he did it according to, to what we read uh, also in Hebrews, that he did it. What for? To save you, to intercede for you today. And I want, I, I'm saying this, that he is the God um, made flesh who identifies with you from this text because most theologians or a lot of well-respected theologians believe that this verse that we just read, that Jesus was sleeping in the boat, is the text in the Bible that shows the humanity of Christ the most. There is no other verse, according to well-respected theologians, that indicate how vulnerable, how human he was. You can be thirsty for five days, or two days, or three days, and still drive okay. You can be hungry for a day, and still survive. But if you fall asleep driving one minute, you may die. Imagine, Jesus, he just wasn't taking a little nap. He was exhausted. He was so human, so human, that was totally, totally exhausted. And I don't know if you have ever experienced that, that you are so tired, so tired, that you even didn't wake up, you don't hear your alarm clock. I still remember once I was driving, uh, driving, flying from Los Angeles to Bogota after I had finished college, and I was so exhausted that, listen, the last thing I remember is when I boarded the plane. And the plane, I believe, stopped in Miami, stopped in another city, got to Bogota, and I was still sleeping. All, when, I, when they had to wake me up, all the plane was empty. And the stewardess said, hey, sir, we are here. We didn't wake you up for the food. And they tried to wake me. I never woke up for the food. I never, when it landed in Miami, never woke up. Never. I was so exhausted. I don't know how many of you who have had to work for long hours. Imagine Jesus was preaching in the sun, speaking. I have a microphone. Jesus didn't. He had multitudes of people. And he was tired and he was exhausted. He was that human. He was that human. So he knows what it is like to be tired, to be, to be weak, to be exhausted. To know that you are vulnerable. This ship, the ship they were at, it was a, a, a ship about uh, 27 feet long, 8 feet wide, and 4 feet uh, tall, that is about uh, 8 meters, 2.5 meters, and 1.3 meters, the size. And when I think of this ship, of this, I don't know, I'm just speculating. I imagine those ships that you have seen in Alaska. Have you seen them? Those fishermen that go in those ships and how they move back and forward and all that. And imagine Jesus was so tired, so tired, so tired that he didn't wake up. He could have died. When he was going to be a stone, he could run, he could hide, he could do anything. When he was hungry, he could say, give me food, thirsty, get some water. But now he was all at the mercy of nature. 
But you know, these strong men, these strong men, at least four of them were, were fishermen. James, John, Peter, and Andrew. Maybe they were there. As, 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 one of, as, as some of the twelve were in that boat. And they were experts. They were rude, strong men. I can only imagine Peter. Peter must have been a big guy. Strong. And they are trying all they can do. They are experts in the sea. And as they are almost, almost dying, they are realizing that after so many years at sea, they are going to die that day. This is it. And here, their master, their Lord, is asleep. He doesn't care. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And sometimes we try all we can in our own strength. If we have financial problems, we start borrowing money. If we have an emotional problem, we find another way to, to fulfill our emotions. If we are not being happy in the church, we start criticizing the leadership. We start shifting the blame. Instead of doing, doing what? Going to this person that can identify yourself with you. Jesus, don't you know I am perishing? And notice that this God is not only the one who wants to speak to you. This Jesus is not the only one, also the only, not just the God made into the flesh. He's also God. He's the sovereign God who has prepared all the storms in your life. And he, he, by the guidance of the Father, knew what was the will of the Father. And Jesus could trust in his Father. In the God of all. And then he says, in verses 39 to 40, he says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? The God who put aside his glory, who made himself so vulnerable so that he could be a priest, a God we can approach with confidence. He has all the power. He's sovereign. He's God. Notice his authority in verse 39. Peace, be still. And what happened? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Imagine. Just think for a moment. You have seen those, those videos. Alaska fishermen, when the ships are, ships are moving and moving. No storm stops just in a split second. As soon as he said the word, it all became calm. He has all power for all power. In Psalm 107, which starts talking about the, the, the goodness of God, 
and the power of his word to, to heal his people, to forgive them, to, to help them, to redeem them. It says, uh, I'm talking about those uh, who, has, who have been actually at the sea and been uh, out there in the sea and have contemplated the wonders of God. It says this in verses 24 uh, to 30. It says, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised, listen, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted, they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. He's talking about the men who were in those ships. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to whom? To the Lord. When? In their trouble, in their storm, in their difficulty. And what did he do? He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of, this, of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to the desired heaven. In this case, it's obviously their salvation, their deliverance. That is where he guided them to. In a world without hope, we are so privileged, so privileged, so privileged to have a personal relationship with a Jesus, with a Christ, with a Lord, with a Savior who is eager to speak to us, who came and suffered for us and died on the cross and paid for our sins so that we may experience his deliverance, his lordship, his kingship. And notice in Psalm 107, it says that he is the one who commanded the winds. He commanded the storm. Jesus knew. The second person of the Trinity. And this is the beauty of Christ. 100% man, 100% God. But in his humanity, he was going through what you are going. But in his deity, he has all power to deliver you. Those who are his brothers. Those children he has given him. These disciples, with all their expertise at sea, with all their knowledge, with all their strengths, I bet they were doing, first do this, first do that, take the ship here, take the, the. they did, they have, must have done so many things. And they forgot one thing. They forgot one thing. Only one thing they had to remember. That Jesus Christ had told them, let's go to the other side. Do you remember? He told them. Let's go to their side. Get the ball ready. Let's go. We are going to their side. How many times we forget that God has made promises? He promised that He would provide for us, 
that he would take us to the other side. Yes, maybe through storms. I'm not saying that there won't be storms. Maybe through suffering. Maybe through hardship. But he is faithful because he wants to take the glory for himself. That is why Hebrews 14, Hebrews 14, 6, Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This high priest is interceding for us. He knows our sufferings. Whatever you are going through, he's not foreign to that. Again, and again I say, he's not just a notion. He's not a concept. He's not a philosophy. He's not just a theology. He's not just a religion. He's just not a way of life that has benefits. He is a personal God. And verse 41, verse 41, and leads me, that leads me to my last point. He, it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We see the response of these men and the response we all should have in view, in light of the, who this Jesus is. They were filled with what? With fear. And these men that were so scared at the storm, so afraid, so frightened, now that it gets all calm, what happens? Their focus of their fear, of the, the, the Greek word here is to be frightened, to be scared, to be kind of panic, to be alarmed, to have fear of this man. Because this man wasn't just a man. He was God made flesh, the all-powerful. So as we read the Gospels, as we read his word, we cannot be thinking that we are just reading the historical Jesus, a man who, is, who lived or was a prophet. No, he's God. And one day will judge us. He has all power. He has all authority. He's God. But you know one thing which I want to say about, about fear, though the meaning of this is to be frightened, to, to be alarmed, that, that very notion give us a consciousness, should give us a consciousness, which is another aspect of fear. Fear is to be conscious of a reality. No one of us would be afraid or fearful of COVID if we were to know, if we wouldn't know that it's real. It's real. So we are fearful. When I was coming here, I really wanted to get here. I was like 84, 85, 79, going through the five. But then I saw the cup right there, whoosh, quickly. <laughs> I was conscious <laughs> of the highway patrol right there. <laughs> and I slowed down. <laughs> that is fear. Fear is the awareness of danger, of reality. And they were aware that this man... 
this Jesus, this Lord, the one in whom they hadn't had faith, and in some way they didn't believe because he had told them, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's go into a storm. Let's die. Let's perish. We're too tired. This is over. That he was going to be faithful. So, the response to this Jesus, who is eager, who cannot wait, who came to die on a cross so that he could speak to you and to me, this Jesus, who is God made in the flesh and can identify with you, this Jesus, who is all sovereign, all powerful, he deserves a response from you, which is total fear, total realization, total awareness, total conscious that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he has all power over your life, that yes, one day he will judge every man. I have been through many storms in my life. Again, financial, emotional, ministerial. And I'm very grateful to the Lord to see that after all these times in my life, I know Christ better by his grace, by his love. Just some time ago, I was sharing with um, the leadership of this church, with the elders, and I have gone through difficult times in my ministry, in my life. I've gone through storms. And as I go to Colombia, this scares me a little bit. But you know, I know he's good. He's faithful. He's powerful. And he's telling me, Ricardo, just be close to me. Just have a close relationship with me. I am there with you. Even when you think that I'm gone, even when you think that I'm sleeping, when I don't sleep, I don't slumber, I'm there and I have all power of all event, over all events, but I want to glorify myself in your life, and I have chosen that it will be through suffering, through trials. I want you to see my glory. No man, no man in Scripture was exempt of storms, trials. Moses. Four years in the wilderness. Hagar in Genesis 21. This woman who is almost seeing her son die. Imagine that. And God was faithful. Hannah in First Samuel. She couldn't bear a child. And she became the mother of Samuel. David in many Psalms. Even Daniel. He knew what was it to be with the lions. Jeremiah, Jonah, Job. By the end of the day, Jonah said... Says, I mean, Job says, here, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make, in, in, in Job 42, and you will make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He had come to a real understanding of, of who this God was, of his love, of his sovereignty, of his power. Peter, Paul, Jesus, all went through difficult times. But you know, in all storms, in all storms, the sun is always there. The sun is always there. We may not see it, but the sun is there. We just need to wait to see it. 
And that Christ, that Lord, is always, always there. And he has always been there. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fire of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is always there. I want to close giving three applications, three encouragement to kind of three different groups of people. The first one, I want to read the verses real quick. The first one, John 14, 1 to 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not? Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. What a beautiful promise. You can trust your life to a God who gives you an eternal hope. You can trust your life to the only God who can give you an eternal hope. Two, three verses after this portion which is read, he says, I'm the way, I'm the life, I'm the truth. No one comes to the fire except for me, through me. If you have even given your life to Christ, if you are not totally committed to him, trust him, trust him, trust him. Put aside whatever you have. Put aside whatever you have. Because he's sufficient. He's all-powerful to guide you, to take you to where? Eternal life. That is the only purpose of us living, to have eternal life. Everything is perishing in this world. Second, there are some of you here, because I have been there too, in the storms of my life that have been result of my own sin. And I want this, to read these verses to you. It says, uh, Hebrews 12, 1, 6, Therefore, since we are surrounded, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to whom? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I have been talking about this. Consider him who endured, endured for sin, from sinners such a hostility, hostility against himself, so that you may not, go, do not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline. That is destruction. The upbringing, the handling that he wants you to grow. Not be wary when reproved by him. Sometimes, and it was my case, in times in my Christian walk, I've been in trouble because of my own sin. You can look up to this Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? 
You have set an example for me. You trusted in the Father. Jesus was tempted by Satan. And Satan offered him everything. And Jesus said, no, I don't choose that. I want to choose to suffer for my Father, for those I love, for the kingdom. So he was exalted. And now he's in the throne ex- interceding for you. You can come with confidence and say, Christ, please help me. Please help me. This is becoming a storm in my life. This is becoming unbearable, this sin in my life. I don't want to live like this. Help me, help me, help me. And he will help you. A third group that I want to speak is those, those of us that by God's grace are doing okay right now. The Lord has blessed us so much. It says, 2 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, bless, I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all conform, who conforms us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, a, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, we have to move on in life. We have to put our past in the past. Imagine that after I was rescued from that ship where, where I was rescued, because I was literally re- rescued by the Chilean army and navy, I would have stayed there. No, I'm okay, I'm okay. No. If you are mature in Christ, let's put our past in the past. And you know what? Let's start encouraging others. Yes, we can refer to what has happened in, to us in our past. But start encouraging others. By God's grace, I'm not here saying, I have never ever sinned in my life. Never have struggled. No. I can encourage others by the grace that God has given me. So you start praying, God, I want to be an instrument. Start praying for all those who are in a struggle, struggling. Don't just be up there in a little nice, little comfortable place. Start praying, Lord, I want you to use my storm in the life of others. I want you to use my storm to reach, to advance the kingdom of God. You have been so privileged in your life. And maybe all what you have acquired is through storms, through difficulties, through trials, through sacrifices. Use it for the glory of Christ. Because there are others that need. Even your humility to say, I went through a lot, but I met Jesus Christ. The God who spoke to me, the God who spoke, who revealed the fire to me. I met Jesus Christ, the God made flesh, who died for me on the cross so that I would follow him, so I would imitate him, so that I would die to sin the way he, he did in the sense of he was tempted, but he never sinned. He gave us an example. And third, I know the Christ. I know the Jesus who is all-powerful, all-sovereign, and has promised me to take me to the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for Jesus Christ. And even I pray for, for all of us. Forgive us because we don't value this as much as we should. This brother of, of us who made himself flesh to die for us, who has revealed the Father in such a vivid, real way. And Father, this, this Jesus who they crucified, one day will judge the world because he has all authority. And Lord, thank you for your grace, for your power, for this precious church, Lord. Speak to all of us and allow us to grow in this Jesus. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.